This is Letitia Styles from Young Finances, and it's a great day to listen to the Personal Profitability Podcast. You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and I'm so excited to bring our second guest onto the podcast today. Today we have my um, actually one of the writers from our own website that you've gotten to know and see our own writer, Melanie. So she is here with us and she is going to share a bit about her journey from working in the nonprofit industry and going on to self-employment. And now she, uh, she works for herself full-time as an online freelancer. So welcome, Melanie. And uh, if you want to say hi to the, to the fans and tell them a little bit about yourself, go for it. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I'm really excited to be here. I am a freelance writer, side hustle coach, editor, virtual assistant, and all around side hustler. And, you know, I love making money in different ways and, you know, have had quite a journey with the whole blog and writing uh, adventure. So I'm really excited to talk to you about it. That's kind of, I think that uh, a lot of our listeners will have something in common with that liking to make money thing. I think that's something that brings us all together. So anyway, so welcome. And I'm so excited to have you not just as a writer, but an audio voice for everyone to get to meet and uh, say hello to. So everyone say hello to Melanie. And um, just a quick (laughs) pause for those who like to partake in my tradition of drinking a beer with us as we uh, go through the podcast. Here's your opportunity to press pause, go grab the beer of your choice, and then come back. My, cheers. My, yeah, cheers. <laughs> so um, now that you've pressed play again, because uh, I don't know if you know, Melanie, I like to have a beer when I talk money, as, as we've done at the bar a few times. And I think it's the best say, way to do it. Totally. You know, there's, there's no reason personal finance shouldn't be fun. So, um, and, and beer is definitely fun. So, all right. So, so my first question for you, Melanie, if, um, if we can go back a, a little bit in your journey, how did you get started in your career and end up in the nonprofit world? Yeah. So I started in the nonprofit world pretty much right after college. Um, you know, I graduated with a theater degree, so you guys can all start laughing now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I actually used my theater degree um, with arts education um, early on. So I was a theater teacher. I also was an arts administrator for a nonprofit program in Los Angeles. And so pretty much for my whole career, I would say about, you know, the past nine years, I was working in nonprofits in LA, in New York, in Portland. They were a variety of different sort of educational services. So, you know, there was um, a lot of arts-based uh, cultural educational programs that I worked for, sort of managing programs, managing budgets, teaching, um, working with grants, uh, administering city programs. And so, uh, you know, nonprofit world is sort of, you know, really helped me prepare to be a freelancer because you wear many different hats. You know, one day you are the janitor and one day you're the executive director. It's sort of, 
you're all working together to make something that's highly imperfect work and you're dealing with very limited funds. Um, and, you know, I've, I've worked in a variety of different sectors in the nonprofit field, both in arts education and intercultural education. Um, but a lot of it has been around sort of helping people really understand that you can transform your life through arts and travel. So that's pretty much how I started my career for the past nine years. And then, you know, fully transitioned into being a writer, which, you know, I still see as a highly creative field. Right. So how um, could you share a little bit more about how you ended up moving? I know you you were a Californian for a very long time. Um, I knew that you'd moved here to Portland. We're actually both in Portland and little different parts of the city. But for, for listeners, we're about you know, probably two, three miles apart right now. Um, but you know, and I think both in Southeast Portland. Yeah. So <laughs> how did you move to New York? And then what drew you to Portland from there? Yeah. So the abridged version of that story, because <laughs> it could be a very long story, but the abridged version of the story is, you know, I'm from Los Angeles, roughly Long Beach, California, you know, where Snoop Dogg and Sublime are from. Long Beach, um, whoop-de-boop. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely love to, to bust my Snoop Dogg. But um, yeah, I, you know, sort of worked in downtown Los Angeles for the early part of my career. Um, I actually got this work opportunity to go to NYU to sort of check out these programs that we're going to bring back to Los Angeles for our high schoolers. And while I was there, I just decided to check out a grad school program for myself. And sure enough, two months later after that trip, I applied to NYU. And a couple months later, I got in and it was just this weird thing that NYU had always been my dream school. I had written in my journal many, many years ago that, <laughs> oh, I wish I could go to my dream school, NYU, but I doubt that'll ever happen. And, uh, you know, then years later it happened. And so, you know, I had this really tough decision of leaving my career behind, leaving my family, my boyfriend, everyone to go to grad school in New York. Um, and I made the choice to do that. So that was a highly uh, risky situation that got me into a lot of debt. Did you um, keep that journal page, by the way? Did you like frame it somewhere and be like, here, look, dreams do come true? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I do actually, because it was one of those things that I, I felt like I really manifested that reality. And, you know, I was in a pretty dark place when I wrote that because I was just, you know, feeling frustrated with life and hoping for something better. And then, you know, it's kind of a nice way to turn out. And so I moved to New York, went to graduate school, um, had a lovely, lovely time there. Um, towards the end of it, after graduation, I went on 30 different interviews. And oh, 30. <laughs> that's, I, that's not a record, but that's a lot of interviews for sure. A lot of interviews, and a lot of them were second, third, and fourth interviews. Oh. And I was just so close, and it was so often between me and somebody else. And um, during this time, I also happened to be in a long-distance relationship. Um my partner, Ryan, and I, we met in L.A. I moved to New York to go to school. He moved to Portland to go to school. And so during this time, we were doing a long-distance relationship back and forth from Portland to New York, which, you know, also exacerbated things. So, you know, I graduated from grad school, had these 30 interviews in New York. They weren't really panning out. And I just thought, I don't know if I can go on one more interview in New York. And my relationship is getting strained. You know, maybe I should move to Portland to be with my love and it's it'll be cheaper here. It'll be better here. Um, and so then I moved to Portland. So that that's the abridged version of this sort of, you know, 
Tri-City Adventure. <laughs> well, I would say welcome to Portland, but you've been here longer than I have. So uh, yeah. it, w- it was very fun to come here and, and have uh, have Melanie. We actually have a little FinCon local meetup group here in Portland. For those of you who aren't familiar, FinCon is the financial blogger conference. It started, I think, four years ago. Um, I've actually been to all of them and gotten to know a lot of great people through that. And that's how I got to know Melanie was because of those connections with mutual friends in the uh, FinCon world. Yeah, so, and I think Portland has one of the best FinCon meetup groups. And we have, we have such a strong, tight-knit community here, which I love. Oh, totally. We have great people like um, if, if if you want to go out there and, and check out some cool websites, Get Rich Slowly is one of the kind of granddaddy finance blogs that was started by J.D. Roth, who lives, I don't know, about like from where my, I used to live when I recorded episode one, probably about a mile from him. Uh, we have Kathleen, formerly O'Malley. <laughs> She's, she got <laughs> married. And her blog, uh, she actually has two blogs now. She had Frugal Portland, which she still has, and started a new uh, blog called For Profit Blogging, where she talks about how to make money blogging. The name's pretty good. Um, Joe Udo is in town. He has a site called Retire by 40, and he's been featured in the media and, and quite a bit. He's a great guy. So we have um, you know, quite a few active finance bloggers in town. It's a it's a great community. Yeah. So, so another question for you then. So um, what... Did you have a job when you moved to Portland or was it just, uh, I know it's going to be cheaper than New York and I don't have anything in New York, so I just want to try it out. So that's where the story takes a downturn in a very interesting uh, sort of way. Um, you know, I came to Portland really feeling like a big fish in a small pond. You know, I was like, I'm from LA. I'm, you know, I just went to grad school in New York. I have a graduate degree from NYU. It's going to be so easy to find a job in Portland. <laughs> Um, you know, I got this, you know, <laughs> and then I got to Portland and the job market was way worse than New York. Way worse. Oh, it's crazy here. We actually... So incredibly worse. <laughs> my wife had the same kind of experience when we left Denver and moved here. She thought, oh, I'm, I'm the experienced property manager. I've run my family business. I've worked for someone else. I'm going to walk right into something. And it's... You know, they they say Portland is the city where young people come to retire. So it's, it's actually kind of true. There are more overeducated people here working in coffee shops than probably anywhere else in the country. Can, I know. Exactly. So it was an abrupt change for me to, you know, have 30 interviews in two months and really sort of feel that I was really close to something. But I just felt personally that it was time to try something different and then to come to Portland and just really struggle. I mean, I was actually sort of lucky enough in that the first two weeks I was here, I did find a part-time job. Um, It was a $10 an hour admin assistant job at one of the arts nonprofits. You're making the big Um, bucks. Yeah. I know. (laughs) For that master's degree to use. Oh my gosh. I have a master's degree and I'm making $10 an hour. It was, (laughs) it was a pretty tough, but you know, I was happy to have work. And then um, after that, I sort of upgraded and made $12 an hour as um, an educational advisor for students that were studying abroad. But that was a seasonal position that, you know, sort of gave out six month contracts and then they didn't rehire you for three months because they didn't want to call you an employee. And then they would hire you again for six months. And then after that, <laughs> I finally, after a year and a half, got a full time job as an events coordinator. And it was just wild because, you know, I had 30 interviews in New York right away. And in Portland, I was applying for full-time positions for 
a year and a half and I had five interviews. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> that whole time. And I finally got that one job as an events coordinator at a nonprofit. And, you know, I just thought my dreams came true. I was the happiest person alive to get that job at that point. Um, and then, yeah, a, a year plus later, I quit that job to be my own boss. So, you know, it's kind of ironic and been this big adventure. You know, I looked for this job for so long. I got exactly what I wanted. I thought it was my dream come true. And then, you know, sort of like most dreams, you achieve your dream and then your dream changes. And then you realize it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And you try something different. So before we get into what you did next, when you quit that job, I know you mentioned student loans from NYU, which is not a cheap school to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know from the name of your your blog that you have, Dear Debt, uh, that you had some debt come along the way. So yes. what how, how did your debt evolve over time from when you moved to New York till you left your job? Yeah, so my debt journey has been... Um, quite varied. So I went to undergrad um, at Cal State University, Long Beach, a very affordable state school. And I graduated with $23,000 in student loans. Um, It's a relatively manageable number for student loans in, in the scheme of things. Yeah, it was definitely manageable, but I was, you know, pretty clueless at that time. So I just paid the minimum like most people do, um, you know, thought that's just what you should do. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't until I actually applied to graduate school that I realized, oh my goodness, I'm going to really get myself into a lot of debt doing this, that I, you know, really realized that I had to do something differently. So <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed by this number, but uh, I took on an additional $58,000 in student loan debt to go to NYU. Had you paid off any of your original loans yet at that point, or was this just adding to the pile? I had paid off about $13,000, you know, just paying the minimum over three or four years. So by the time I graduated NYU, I had $68,000 in debt. Um, if you do the math, you know, 58000 plus 23, it's a total of $81,000 that I've, I've, you know, had in my lifetime. Um, so yeah, as of, you know, May 2011, when I graduated, I had $68,000 in student loan debt. Currently, I have $34,000. So, um, you know, I sort of had this journey of paying the minimum, not really seeing it as any sort of burden. Um, graduate school is what really sort of woke me up. I realized that I didn't want to, you know, pay off my debt for 25 years and have it forgiven when I'm 52. You know, I didn't want to just feel like this constant um, nagging feeling. You know, I know that I'm working really, really hard to put upwards of 40 and 50% of my income to student loan debt and really slaughter it as fast as possible, but it's worth it to me so that I can be debt-free in just a few more years. So when you were in New York living from your student loans, did you have any credit cards along the way or were you just sticking to the student loan debt? Just student loan debt. I actually didn't even get my first credit card until two years ago. I, you know, even though I apparently so easily got into student loan debt, I actually uh, have always hated debt and especially the idea of consumer debt. I just never really understood it. So I proceeded very cautiously and didn't even get my first credit card until two years ago. 
So, so at least there, your interest rates were staying pretty reasonable. So for, for those of you listening who aren't as familiar, student loan debt, if you get it through a government student loan, the rates are fixed by the government. So you're not going to pay, you know, super high interest rates. You can get some private student loans with a higher interest rate, but they're still generally pretty reasonable. But credit cards and consumer debt have, um, can often be 20% or more. You know, some, a lot of them start around 15%. So, the interest rates are much higher, so it makes it a lot harder to pay those off. So you know, that's good news that Melanie, you didn't have any uh, any credit cards along the way, and, and you're so, so you don't have any of those to pay off. So that's that's a great story. Yes. So just student loans. <laughs> just student loans. I know, just student loans. Easy to say, but that's that's a lot of money too to pay off. And you know, I I was in the same boat. I had um, I actually got undergrad. I I was on a full ride scholarship because of um, what I did with Boy Scouts. So I got through that without any debt. My first loan I ever took was a car loan because my car died um, on the way to work one day. It just oh, went no. dun, 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 turned off and the uh, repair would have cost oh. more than the car. So I went and got a new car, uh, which is still my car that's, uh, that's sitting out front, my Toyota. But um, where I really got my first real taste of debt was also in grad school. And I went and got my MBA at the University of Denver. And I ended up taking about $40,000 in student loans for that and... Um, I, because of my career stuff, people who are interested in um, reading the story, I have, I'll have i put in the show notes a link to my post about how I paid it off in about two years and six days. Um, I wished it had been awesome. six. If my payday had been one week earlier, I could have said I got debt-free in less than two years. But <laughs> I will always say two years and six days thanks to that payday being one week later. Um, That's fun though. Oh, yes, yeah, so there is a story. I, and I say Very that, exact. I know, and, and two years and six days later, I, I felt in my heart like I had like a flyover at the Super Bowl when they have <laughs> jet fighters fly over. I was like, yeah, I conquered my debt. So you'll have when when you do pay your debt off, I'll uh, I'll call in some favors and see if we can get a flyover over Portland for you. <laughs> oh, I'm having a party. I already know. I'm gonna host a party. Dance party. You invited. Yeah. Dance party, karaoke party. I'm just going to have a big party because that's a huge amount of, of money to pay off and I'll be very excited. And you'll have all this free money now that you used to be paying into your debts that you can now exactly. just put into the party fund. <laughs> so so at the let's, let's jump back forward a bit. So you had your job in Portland and you started freelancing on the side while you were working. When did you start your online income and how long did it take from that point until you quit your job? Yeah. So. This is really interesting is that I just started freelancing actually officially like the first thing that ever made me any money um, was October 2013. And was that before or after you started Dear Debt? I started Dear Debt, um, goodness, um, January 2013. Okay. So was your blog a part of how you found the freelance client or was that totally unrelated? It was definitely how I found my first freelance client. Um, he had found me via Twitter and you know invited me to write an article, and so I was so thrilled and so terrified. Um, you know, I'd been writing on my blog for almost a year by that point, but I just felt, oh my goodness, this is my first time I'm writing for pay. You know, I wanted to make it perfect, and uh, yeah, it you know it was an interesting experience, but. Uh, it didn't really catch on until a few months later in February 2014 is when I really got sort of serious about it. Okay. So, um, so you started building up your income from freelancing while still working at the same time, which is what I'm doing. It's what many freelancers do. 
what if you don't mind sharing how much was your uh was your nonprofit paying you at the time that you were also freelancing so what were you trying to build on yeah so i made $31,000 at that nonprofit job so not you know an incredible amount of money it seemed like an incredible amount of money coming from $10 $12 an hour oh, totally yeah <laughs> a salary is a nice thing even if it's not so, a yeah. uh, not a Wall Street salary. It's still a salary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it felt really nice at the time. So, you know, I just really wanted to prove to myself that I could at least match my nonprofit job. And, you know, I tell this to people a lot that I had sort of a lower barrier to entry in that way. You know, I would never suggest someone that's making $100,000, $90,000, maybe even $60,000, like really seriously think about, you know, quitting your job to freelance because you do obviously want to be making that same amount of money or ideally more. Um, you know, for me, I didn't have a ton of money that, you know, I was going to be replacing and I really believed in myself that I could do it. So I was hoping to, you know, get $2,000 a month after taxes and, you know, in a matter of months and really, really busting my ass, I was able to make it happen. So what, what steps did you go through from that first freelance client? How, how much were you making roughly a month freelancing when you decided it was time to leave the job and go out on your own? Mm -hmm. So I quit my job in July of 2014. And at that point, um, I was making, I think, about $1,500 a month. So not quite exactly what I was making. But uh, I had just secured this new client that wanted 20 hours a week of SEO writing. And so I decided to quit my job to pursue this. And actually, it's really funny. The SEO job turned out to be awful and totally not worth it. And it just felt like another job. And I ended up quitting that sort of very lucrative side gig two months later and thought, you know what, I could be writing a lot more articles and spending a lot more time and making more money. And I'm so glad I did that because I started making a lot more money right after FinCon, essentially. I made a ton of different connections at FinCon. I really started hitting the pavement and sort of networking and really reaching out to people. And I think the difference between my income has always been direct action, sort of what steps do I take to build those relationships that I already have to create new relationships and to also continue to deliver a really great product so that people are seeing me. And, you know, it's been really great to be featured on a number of different platforms, including your website, including your podcast, as you know, well as other people, because then, you know, you're sort of getting out there and making a name for yourself and people start coming to you, which I found, you know, is sort of the best of both worlds, you know, instead of constantly pitching people and really trying to, you know, hope that someone throws some money at you. It's really great when people come to you. And I feel like you have a lot more power and can leverage, you know, sort of increasing your rates because of that. Oh, I totally agree. I actually have a fun story about that at FinCon. I was, um, I ran the Ignite FinCon event and Ignite event is a speaking event where people get on stage and they have exactly five minutes to the second and it's timed and they get 20 PowerPoint slides on a 15 second auto advance. So it's kind of like Ted talks on speed. And I <laughs> planned that at FinCon. This was Last year was my third year doing this in New Orleans, mm -hmm. and somebody approached me after, right after the event. So I did my talk. I, I did the last talk, and one of the things I said was, yeah, "I'm a freelancer, and I'm for hire." Because <laughs> you, know, you gotta, too, yeah, you, you don't want to pitch yourself too much to that audience, but you can't 
help but mention it, but right? They need to know what you can I know. <laughs> so uh, someone walked up to me and um, at, at that event, and they became a a great client who's um, been great to work with. And you know, it's uh, you know, you never know where someone's going to find you, and um, you know, events like that is a great place. So, so so I'll ask you about that. So how many FinCons have you been to, or other conferences, and how did you meet people there? Did you have any networking tactics? What what was the thing that really helped you jump up from there? As you said, you you that was really your launch point to growing your income. Yeah, so this was actually my first FinCon. So it was awesome and so very exciting to be around so many other people that love personal finance. And I'm an extrovert. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. And so I really felt like I was able to shine at FinCon. I know some people that are more introverted sort of had a hard time. You know, it can be very overwhelming, I'm sure you know, to see hundreds of people that you may or may not know online. And, um, but for me, I just felt, you know, I'm here to learn from people. I'm here to grow. I'm here to learn about what other people can do and learn how I can help others. And so, um, you know, definitely just meeting anyone and everyone. I gave everyone that I talked to a business card and, you know, not in a smarmy way, but sort of, you know, at a certain time in the conversation when it felt like a right thing to do, you know, oh, here's my business card, by the way, you know, I, I love writing. Um, I would love to talk about ways that we can, you know, follow up and catch up. And so, um, the, the key thing that I did that I think really, really helped is after FinCon, I spent about goodness, how long was it? I think I spent four hours emailing every single person that I met at FinCon. (laughs) That's, so that's an investment of time right there, four hours. Every single day. person. Yeah. It was, and it wasn't, you know, a sort of a mass email thing. It wasn't something that, you know, I was just emailing to everyone. It was literally a unique email, you know, with notes about, you know, what we talked about or, you know, things that, you know, we had mentioned and, you know, really showing gratitude for that moment in time that we shared together and, you know, just following up with ways that we can collaborate. And that, warranted so many great results. I feel like, you know, at least 20% of people responded with a new opportunity. And also I really learned to be really vocal. Um, you know, two or three of those people that had contacted me at FinCon and then, you know, we sort of had follow-up emails afterwards, you know, they had this sort of really vague, you know, yeah, let me know how I could help you or how we can help each other. And I said, yeah, actually you can help me. I'm looking for writing <laughs> clients. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. And, you know, that was kind of hard for me to do, but it felt so great because that warranted results. And it really just proved to me that you really need to speak up and tell people what you want. No one's a mind reader. You know, you can't assume they read your site or they know anything about you. So you have to really tell people, look, this is what I can do. This is what I need. This is how you can help me. Let me know how I can help you. And for those, and everybody listening to this is not a personal finance <laughs> blogger. So, so just so you know out there, if, if you do any other kind of online work, there are tons of conferences out there that are uh, more general or specific on different topics. Like there's uh, mommy blogger conferences and mommy bloggers. I know a few of them and have seen their financials and they make tons of money. It's like mind blowing how much money they make. Um, they they could make in a month what I make in a year and I do pretty well. So, um, so there's mommy blogger conferences. There's uh, there's a conference that was called Blog World Expo for a long time. I think now it's called New Media Expo or Media World Expo. It's in California or Las Vegas. Uh, there's you know, there's also there's a podcaster conference. So there's conferences for everything. And um, so don't feel just because we're talking about FinCon here that 
oh, well, there's no conference for me and the freelance type of work that I do because there are things for people who do anything, you know, techies. um, If you, you anything you do, there is a conference for you. My uh, my brother-in-law that runs uh, an excavator company and he went to a concrete uh, working expo in Las Vegas. (laughs) So wow. and he, he it was a great um, place for him to make contacts for his his business. So really, there's a conference for everything. And for me, like Melanie, it has been a massive uh, part of how I've grown my income so much and met people and built those connections and and the credibility and everything that comes with it. So don't be afraid, even if you're on the introverted side, to throw yourself out there and and try it and get involved, volunteer to help with the conference itself. The more people who know your name and know what you do, the more likely someone's going to email you just like they did to Melanie and say, Hey, um, you know, I'm looking for a new writer for this site. What do you charge? Cause that, that really does happen. And it's a pretty, a pretty cool experience. Mm-hmm. So when you started freelancing and, and you were brand new, didn't know anything about it, what were you charging people at that time? <laughs> I actually had no idea about raids and someone had just emailed me and they said, I'll pay you $25 for a post. And I said, great, that's awesome. And, you know, I thought I had, you know, made bank at that time. I was like, wow, I can write an article in an hour and $25 is going to be awesome. And at the time, because I was so new and I was not experienced and, you know, things really do change once you start making money doing something, you know, I was paralyzed with fear. I just thought, oh my goodness, I'm so nervous to submit this. And, you know, this article that I thought was going to take me an hour ended up taking me about three or four hours. And, you know, at that point, I'm probably making about minimum wage or less after taxes. And so, you know, at that point, I had been charging, you know, 20 to $25 a post. Um, and I was just totally inexperienced. And, you know, I think that everyone has to sort of pay their dues and work some of those lower rates and really understand you know, what your time is worth and how you can grow from there. And then also being really realistic. You know, I learned the hard way about dealing with paralyzing fear and, you know, getting past, you know, doing something for the first time. I had, you know, no experience freelancing before. I thought, oh, people are going to see me and they're going to understand that I'm a fraud. that I've never done this before. And they're going to think my article sucks. And, you know, it just, really took away from my time and money. But, you know, as I kept going, I kept just saying, you know, I realized that I would turn in my article and no one would say anything. And I'm like, well, no news is good news. Yeah. <laughs> and then you keep, you know, trying and you realize that, you know, the world's not ending and everything is going fine. And you start to build up your confidence and realize that a lot of it, a lot of that BS is just in your head. Well, so you don't feel bad. My first paid post that I wrote was for $10. <laughs> so that was uh yeah, was making the big bucks i don't know so you're you making about three times what i was um and and so so like like you my rates have gone up over time so what um if you don't mind sharing a range i, I don't want you to give away your trade secrets on what you charge yeah but um what types of ranges did you see coming in and, and newer clients that you're taking on mm-hmm. it can definitely be a range and you know i prefer to work with people's budgets because that has been a really great way for me to actually sort of leverage a higher income without sort of having that awkward negotiation phase. Um, that happened with a client at FinCon, actually. I had decided, you know, to sort of get rid of the whole rates thing and sort of ask what their budget was. And they just floored me with their budget. They said, 50 cents a word. <laughs> 50 cents a word. That's like magazine writing income yeah, right it- there. 
I, I thought it was a typo at first. And so I just, you know, played along. I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, on the inside, I was dancing and screaming in my living room. And, you know, I got paid for that assignment for a blog post about $400. And, you know, that was, you know, something that really blew my mind. Because I feel like, you know, you sort of work with these rates that you think are sort of normal. Like in the freelance writing blogosphere, you know, $10 is obviously on the very low end. Um, beginners is around the 25 range. You know, a pretty moderate range is around 50 to $75 per post. Um, if you're a real expert and you could bring a lot to the table, probably 100 to $200. So, you know, there's a, a definite range of rates you can use as a freelance writer. But that one, that experience was the one time that it really just showed me that you don't know what people's budgets are. It's always helpful to ask and you could be selling yourself short if you don't. And it just showed me that there are really well-paying clients out there that you just need to find them. Oh, totally. <laughs> so essentially the short answer is, you know, a rate between, you know, 50 to hopefully several hundred dollars a post. And that's what I'm really trying to focus on next is, is getting those 200 to 400 dollar posts and, and really having the confidence to charge more and to, and to seek people out and you know for newer clients that do come my way you know sort of just saying this is my rate and this is what I want and you know I found more times than not that people that really want to work with you they won't even flinch and especially if they're a professional you know it's a corporate sponsored blog um, you know they, they have the funds to, to pay. Yeah, so I so a little story for me when I started freelancing and really getting serious about it, which you know I put on all my um you know my monthly entrepreneurial income updates, how much I'm making from different parts of my online business. One one that has really grown over the last couple of years is the freelance writing for other sites. You know, I I did sponsorships on my own site for a long while, and then I discovered this great world of freelancing and. Um, Someone who really helped me along the way, there's a, there's a writer out there named Jason Steele, and he is probably the biggest credit card slash frequent flyer mile freelancer out there who isn't writing solely for his own blog. Um, and he's done you know, amazing things and not only helped me plan trips with Miles, but he really kind of led the way to me to knowing how much you could make freelance writing online. And he was a big inspiration to me. And and helping build me up. So did you have any stories or anyone that really helped you build up your business? Anyone you looked up to as a mentor? Did you kind of go at it on your own and figure out the waters yourself? Yeah, I have to give a shout out to Carrie Smith from Careful Sense. She has been such a fantastic mentor to me. Uh, you know, we started working together in April of last year. And I, you know, started on at her as her assistant editor for her site, as well as one of her other sites that she works for. And we just, you know, really had this great relationship. And I just looked up to her so much. And, you know, she would answer my questions, and we'd sort of have Skype dates and mentorship sessions. And, you know, she was the one that really pushed me to quit my job, even before I was ready. And she said that, you know, sometimes you have to, to leap before you have all the answers. And I really do think it was the right thing for me to do at that time. And, you know, she's had a wonderful success story. She also quit before she was ready and it's worked out amazingly well for her. And so she has always been pushing me, you know, to charge what I'm worth. Um, she's always so appreciative of everything that I do. And she's really you know, been so helpful at sort of explaining some of the things that I just clearly don't understand as a new business owner. Do you think you could have come as far as you have without that mentor relationship? Or do you think no. you 
<laughs> no, that was a quick no. I would probably still be at my job if it wasn't for Carrie. So that's that's a great uh, a great thing to say for mentors. Uh, and again, I I had a similar experience, so not quite as close of a mentor a defined mentor relationship with Jason, but he was definitely a leader, a thought leader, and a, a friend who helped me out along the way. And that's been a great um, you know, it was a great experience for me. So do you have any other? So if you were going to start over today, not knowing anything or knowing everything you know now mm-hmm. and you wanted to start a new freelance business what would you tell the melanie of two years ago this is what you need to do to get started mm-hmm. number one i would say just do it i can definitely you know resonate with that feeling of being paralyzed by fear and feeling like you're not good enough and sort of comparing yourself to other people that have been doing it way longer than you you know, there's so many great freelance writers in the personal finance sphere that it's so easy to be like, oh, well, there's already a ton of writers out there. Why do I matter? Why should I even start? But, you know, I think just getting started and doing what you do best and really cultivating your voice and not comparing yourself too much. Um, I would have definitely found a mentor sooner rather than later. I you know, was lucky enough to stumble upon Carrie. But, you know, if you don't have a mentor try to find one. And, you know, I can sort of resonate with what you say too, Eric, is that, you know, they might not consider themselves a mentor to you, but as long as you are getting something out of it and, you know, you think of them as a mentor, you know, it doesn't have to be an established relationship or this formal thing. It can just be something that, you know, a gift that someone has given you. Um, number two is something that I'm dealing with right now is definitely being more organized in the way that business is set up. I'm doing my taxes right now. And <laughs> I have not kept very good records. And uh, I'm really sort of learning that it would have been a lot more helpful to be, you know, more organized with my records, my bookkeeping, you know, actually having a business checking account. I know I'm kind of <laughs> embarrassed to actually say that I don't have one yet. But well, if you need help with any of that uh, offline, let me know, because I've actually just set up my third business checking account and um, I'm actually going to pitch a topic to PT for this FinCon to do a talk on this exact issue because I've run into so many people who started their own businesses but didn't treat it like a business up front. Like, oh, I'm just making a few dollars freelancing. And then years down the road, they're still, you know, cashing checks under their personal name. And, and Seriously. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I really didn't get it before, but now I totally get it now that I'm dealing with this sort of nightmare of figuring out where all my money went. <laughs> and, you know, some of it came from PayPal. Some of it was with checks. You know, some of it, I didn't get 1099s because it was less than $600. Um, you know, I'm just scrolling through all this stuff and it's just been kind of a nightmare. And now I'm really seeing that a little organizational work on the front end would have really saved me a lot of headache now. And, you know, in that regard, I have to say that I consider myself a very creative minded person. And so my brain just sort of shuts down with these things. So I've, you know, sort of delayed the inevitable in that regard. (laughs) But I think for people like you that have done it and can explain easily for people like me, you know, that's a great thing to offer because some people, you know, they do feel more sort of creatively inclined and aren't good with this actual business sort of stuff. And that's definitely me. (laughs) I'm kind of a freak who kind of likes doing my own bookkeeping and accounting because it's kind of fun. (laughs) I guess that's why I have two finance degrees and I used to be an accountant because that's what I do. Um, So so one kind of fun (laughs) question, working for yourself full time, what is your typical work uniform and do you ever work in your pajamas? (laughs) 
So when I first quit my job, I have to say that I took a lot of naps and worked in my pajamas a ton that first <laughs> month. You know, I just felt, oh, this is awesome. You know, going to work in my pajamas. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to take lots of naps. You know, at that point, I was also recovering from, you know, working 80 to 90 hours a week. And so I literally was just exhausted. Um, but sort of as I recovered from that exhaustion, from working so much, you know, managing the full-time job as well as my freelance career, you know, I started to realize that it was kind of unhealthy to work too much in your pajamas. I think, you know, it can be nice, but I sort of hit a point where I was, you know, working in the bed or working from the couch, just in my pajamas. And it was really affecting my productivity, actually. And I started to think about why is it so hard for me to focus? And I realized that, you know, when you're in bed in your pajamas, your body language is telling you, I'm relaxed, everything's cool, it's casual, but in your brain, you're trying to focus, you're trying to write, you're trying to do business. And there's sort of this disconnect of what your body's telling you and what your brain's telling you. And so I just, you know, after that point, I realized I'm saving the pajamas for days that I'm sick or literally too exhausted to get out of bed. But every day, you know, I need to have some, you know, I just wear jeans and a t-shirt. I don't really dress up. Some people say that you should dress up in business wear or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. Um, but at least get dressed in real clothes. Do you go to a coffee but, shop or do you work from home more? I mostly work from home. Um, if I feel like I need to get outside, I do go to a coffee shop. Um, I like working at coffee shops, but I also feel like I can get distracted there. I love people watching and, <laughs> you know, sort of wandering. So it really just depends on the day. I would say primarily I work from home from a desk. And that was the big shift that I made when I sort of realized I wasn't at my peak productivity was, you know, getting dressed properly every day, sitting at a desk properly every day, you know, really setting up my personal space at home to be conducive to working because a bed and a couch is not conducive to working. Oh, totally. I get that. I, I do try to write on the couch every once in a while with like a TV show in the background mm -hmm. and my words per minute go from like a hundred words a minute down to like five words a minute. You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes like when Desperate Housewives is on Netflix, you just gotta, gotta <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do, you know? <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, you're awesome and, and we're fr real life friends. So I could chat with you all day, but yeah. the podcast listeners don't have all day. They have a lot to keep themselves busy and starting their own freelance businesses. So if they want to find you and connect with you on the web, on the social medias, where should they go to find you? They can find me at DearDebt.com. I'm also at DearDebtBlog on Twitter, DearDebt on Instagram, DearDebt on Pinterest. That's great branding. You know, the same. <laughs> you know, if I'd known that when I started all of my blogging stuff six years ago, I would have, have probably had an easier go at it than just changing my blog name like I did <laughs> a couple months ago. Yeah, be a tough transition. Well, thank you so much for your time here and um, all that great knowledge and your story that you shared here. Uh, lift, lift up your beers, everyone, and say cheers to paying off debt. And thanks so much for being here. And everyone, have a productive and profitable day. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.